This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Kia and welcome to episode 85 of the Half Measures Podcast. I'm once again joined by my friend and co-host Paul Kanawa, a fellow NZ Podcast Awards nominee. How are you? Kia ora, Dan. I'm good, thank you. Have you been reading my LinkedIn profile? Because that is now my official tagline on my you know, uh, NZ Podcast Award nominee. Yeah. All of your LinkedIn updates, I'm all over. Good. And look, you know, it's this, this is big news in the New Zealand podcast game, being uh, nominated for an award. It really is. And do you know what? Could our listeners help us with this, I wonder? That would be amazing. So uh, just this year, the New Zealand Podcast Awards have uh, opened up uh, – awards process to celebrate podcasting in New Zealand and we've actually been nominated and we're we're in on a couple of categories but there's also uh, a listener's choice award category and we would absolutely love it if you would go along and give us a vote. Paul where can they find those details? All they need to do is to go along to nzpodcastawards.com so that's nzpodcastawards.com all one word. And there's a button there which says nominate. And when you click through to that, you just have to enter in the podcast name, Half Measures Podcast, your email, and then put a link to the podcast, which is probably easiest if you just put halfmeasurespodcast.com and click submit. And we'll send you the money in the post and hopefully we win the award and we can give our day jobs. And look, you know, there's not many awards in the New Zealand podcast game, so we're probably going to be talking about this for a while, but if you could put a vote in, that would mean a hell of a lot to us. Um, and, you know, who knows? A few half measures? We might even place somewhere in this little competition. With a few half measures, we could get across the line. It's uh, Look, it's, it's great just being nominated, but it would be – imagine. Could you imagine the speeches? That'd be a shambles. It would. I think. I hope they don't do it live. No, I can't, I can't cope with life. Look, look. You know, you know the vision we've been talking about, Paul. We turn up with our tuxedos on. We like accept the trophy. I hope there's two trophies, like because we, otherwise we're going to have to have like a shared a custody. trophy shared custody agreement. Is there a is there a first, second, third? I'd be happy with a third. You know, but. Even to get there, <laughs> to be honest, who knows? Who knows? This is exciting. This is, a, I think, a big step in the New Zealand podcast space. And, yeah, look, any help that you can give us, spread the word, tell your friends, go and vote. It will help us out a lot. Anyway, Paul, how have you been? How is life? Tell me all about it. Tell me your woes. My woes. My woes. I've got, I've got no real woes at this point, Dan, other than if we're not talking about sport because you know that's that's where most of my woes are in the in the football arena and if that's where my biggest woes are life can't be too bad but no just been carrying on with the day job and in the evenings making sure i've been watching plenty of stuff to come along and talk to you sir well on that note tell me what have you been watching well firstly dan and look it's been a while since i dipped my hand into that lolly jar, the 1980s lolly jar. And if you like a 1980s 
movie, if you like a B movie, if you like a sci-fi movie, this one is really worth a look. It is the much-hated 1983 movie, Prisoners of the Lost Universe. Okay, check it. Three people are transported into what appears to be a prehistoric world in a parallel universe, and they must use modern technology, but medieval weapons, in order to save the the people from a murderous warlord. So (laughs) there's this scientist who's created a machine that allows him to, to see into another dimension, and he's testing ways to send objects through. And this has Richard Hatch, um, who was in both versions of Battlestar as um, Tom Zarek and Apollo, uh, has K-Lens, and it has the legendary uh, John Saxon, who was, you know, from so much great stuff like Enter the Dragon, and of course was uh, in another 80s film, Battle Beyond the Stars, where he played Sador. Um, and look, this is as B-grade as it gets. It gets absolutely slated, apart from Google reviews, where it's like 75% rating. It gets slated everywhere but for me it's for all the right reasons it's getting slated this is as b movie a movie as it will ever get look at that poster that is what a b movie 80s poster should be about i love that poster as you, while you were talking i was sort of fluctuating between the uh, terrible imdb review and then the fantastic poster that you could just imagine in like a, a new york loft and how great it would be and i think this is sometimes the the charm of a good b grade movie right like B-grade movie can actually be A-tier fun. Oh, every, every, not every time, but every so often, that is exactly what you get. And it's it's kind of like where sometimes it's so bad, it's good, which I know sounds cliche, but honestly, that was the case with this one. I feel like I could already rewatch it. Um, and like I say, it's, it's getting slated everywhere. But when you think about the budget it was made on, my sort of nerdish love of this type of uh, old genre they don't make him like this anymore even the b-grade movies of, of today still look reasonable compared to how a b-grade movie used to look um now it's it's like it's not a prime time saturday watch obviously but maybe i don't know maybe it's saturday morning everyone's gone out shopping you're home alone and even if you're into a little bit of sci-fi this could be the most enjoyable thing you see all week so is this a movie that you've seen before and you were kind of reliving the experience or was this purely a, a lucky dip experience? Pure lucky dip. I literally was scrolling through because I haven't for a while. As I said, you know, I haven't been through the Amazon Prime reel for a while. And I was like, let's 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 go for something that just looks great. And as soon as I saw Richard Hatch and John Saxon together, I was like in an 80s, I couldn't pass on that opportunity. I knew I wasn't coming in to Gone with the Wind. Um and it certainly wasn't that. And uh, yeah, I mean, the the ratings speak for themselves. And I had a lot of fun watching it. What would you give this on the classic half measures, guns akimbo scale? Oh, if, if I'm to give it an honest score in terms of compared to anything else we review, it's like a one out of four guns. But in terms of enjoyment factor and just simply sitting there and just laughing at how bad some of it was. It's it's right up there as a three and a half in terms of comedy value. That's that's how, yeah. Anyway, so that's Prisoners of the Lost Universe on Amazon Prime. If you hadn't guessed, <laughs> you're, you're doing the Lord's work, Paul. Um, and the other thing, other than the multiple things that we've watched together this weekend, Tuesday this week, it was the official International James Bond Day, and so 
you know, what better way to celebrate than to go right back to the start and give 1962's Doctor No a rewatch, which is which is what we did. And honestly, I have not watched this movie for a long, long time, it seems. Uh, in fact, I feel like it was one of the first things that my wife and I watched when we first met. Uh, that's how long ago it feels. So this one, the first James Bond movie, a resourceful British government agent seeks answers in a case involving the disappearance of a colleague and the disruption of the American space program. For me, I just was blown away. Having, like the two of us have done, watching all these recent Daniel Craig movies, there's so much in this movie that is still at the core fabric of Bond today. And of course, the thing is with this, no one, Connery, the directors, none of them had this, you know, this tried and tested format to rely on. They didn't know what a Bond movie looked like. So this is like the prototype and it still rates really highly. If I was to rank all the Bond movies, this, it would still rate really, really highly. And it's it's, it's like a game changer, this one. It, it went from no James Bond to suddenly he's there at the table playing cards in his tuxedo. He's come straight from the half measures winning, you know, winner's speech. And he's got charm, he's got swagger. And the other thing I noticed is that when he says virtually his first line, Bond, James Bond, I would argue that every time that's been said since has never been said with quite as much sort of charisma and just pure, I don't know, there's just something, it's magic. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the original James Bond movies and I'm a really big fan of Sean Connery as James Bond. He's he's definitely one of my favourites. I know that can be a, a controversial topic at times. Um, my most recent watching of Dr. No would probably be about oh, eight to ten years ago mm. in uh ER waiting room. Um, I'd broken my leg and it was on, they had the, the, the TV on and Dr. No was playing. And it was, normally you would moan about the ER waiting time. Yep. It was a fantastic experience, pretty much watching this entire movie, which is, it's not short, um, at 150 minutes sort of for a movie set in the 60s. And it it was great. I loved it. Oh, it's it's the perfect runtime and I, and I imagine being in the ER would be amazing just almost like the doctor comes and says oh Mr Whiting you're like no 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 just 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 give me a minute yeah that's always a good sign I I feel like everything just comes into place real quick it feels like they've made two or three movies before this because you've got Bernard Lee who plays M he's he's right on the money right from the start and he stays with the franchise right through to for your eyes only I've been doing some reading today, Joe. Um, uh, what's the other guy? Uh, not the uh, Lewis Maxwell as as Money Penny. She's brilliant as Money Penny again, right from the start. She stays all the way through to Roger Moore's final movie, A View to a Kill. Um, and then the the bad guy, the the um, Doctor No, Joseph Whiteman. He sets a great standard again. No one knew what a Bond villain looked like before. Ursula Andress is is great opposite Bond. And the only things that are missing for me when I think about what do I think of in a Bond movie, firstly is Desmond Llewellyn is not in it as Q. So there's, he, I think he shows up in the next one. And the opening credits don't have a, a, a theme song. There's no actual, they haven't started that yet. And although the visuals have already started with the exotic sort of visuals, which is one thing, the, the music's missing. But other than that, 
everything's there and it's just it's a, a credit to the guys that made this movie they must have just walked away from watching this movie for the first time and said we've done something real special here even this poster speaking of old posters is fantastic on imdb just mm. the the classic james bond pose the um the wider cast it's it's fantastic it'd be a great art piece in the home we we have uh the james bond movie poster book uh, and it's like a I don't know, what's that, like an A2 size. And for some reason, we managed to get two of them. So we've got one of them that sits in the lounge underneath the, the TV and the other one, we cut up all the posters and they now are all downstairs in like one of our spare rooms, this wall to wall. And that that one there is right in the middle. That one, it is an absolute classic. It's The other thing is, is this movie, because it's the first one, they didn't have much of a budget. And like, it's... I mean, it had more money than Prisoners of the Lost Earth, admittedly, but it's still low in terms of Bond movies. And I think one of the things about a, a movie with a lower budget is it means less sort of action, less effects, less explosions. But what that gives you is more more story, more of the spy stuff, the more subtle stuff, which I think it makes it clever and it's well written. And I was thinking earlier, 1962, Star Trek and Doctor Who were about to come out. The moon landing, the Beatles, the Who, England are winning the World Cup. Honestly, I was born at the wrong time. This would be this would be the great time to be alive for all this. That's awesome. Do you think you're going to carry on with this James Bond journey, Dan? It's like you're reading my mind because it's like it's like Pringles. It's like a, a it's like a, a first scoop of popcorn. You, you don't you don't stop with one. There's no way we're stopping with one. And I can report that as a family. We have committed to at least one James Bond movie a week, probably like as a Friday night movie. And I have to give a shout out to my 12 year old son because he watched all of the Daniel Craig movies with us. And I thought he'd find Dr. No, you know, non HD 60s, maybe a bit hard going for a 12 year old. But no, he loved it. And he wants to watch the whole lot of them. So. I don't know anyone his age that would have maybe had that same view for an old classic. So I was, I was very impressed at that. As the heir to the half measures uh, empire, <laughs> this this is great news. It's great to see that he's you know broadened his horizons from an early age. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's great, and uh, it's 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 a, it's a wonderful experience watching someone watch a movie like this for the first time, and you know, yeah. Can't wait to I can't wait to to go through. I know some of them might be less impressive than Doctor No, but I'm going to enjoy bringing a bomb movie to the pod for the next what's that nineteen weeks. <laughs> I think um, what's sometimes good about going you know uh, going back to these early movies or these these original movies is there's so many movie references to these types of things in in pop culture. Yeah, it'll probably give your son a, a whole different appreciation for certain movies for when a villain has a you know all, all the sort of the quirks of a, of a dr no or yeah, it's, it's a fun time i think you're on a you're on a good journey we're already talking about uh, a james bond playstation game as well which would be incredible as well so the the possibilities are endless there is actually a, a, a James Bond game in the works at the moment. Oh wow! Um, made by it's been made by the people that make the Hitman game or the Hitman franchise. Yeah. And if it's anything like Hitman, it'll be fantastic. I mean, we know there's been some great previous outings in the James Bond video game world. So awesome stuff. Wow. 
Real good. So other than the things we've watched together, Dan, that's what I've been watching. So what about yourself? What have you been watching this week? Yeah, well, I think my Marvel viewing has taken a little bit of a of a hit this week. Uh, just a few social activities and a few shows that we have been watching together. So I've finished off my watch of Black Widow. And so that was if you remember from last week's episode, I got about halfway through that movie and I, I stand by what I was saying uh, in the sense that this, I think when I first reviewed this movie, I gave it a, a you know, just an okay review, but this is, this is top tier. Black Widow, fantastic. Glad to finish it off. It definitely goes up in my, up in my ratings and like I've been banging on about for the last few weeks, the timeline order just makes everything click into place. It's the only way to watch. It is the only way. So, <clears throat> so we finished off Black Widow, and then the only other Marvel movie we've watched this week um, is actually Spider-Man Homecoming. So Spider-Man Homecoming came out in 2017. Spider-Man is definitely up there as one of my favorite uh, MCU heroes. It's Tom Holland's Spider-Man, I think is just perfect. Obviously, this one also stars Michael Keaton as well, who um, plays a, a, the villain in this. And it's it's so... It's so great because, you know, Paul, you and I have such an appreciation for uh, Michael Keaton and his role as Batman. And to see him sort of, you know, step into the, the shoes of a villain, the journey that um, Peter Parker goes on, he's kind of, you know, he's helped the, the Avengers in Civil War. He's kind of wanting to join the Avengers. He's waiting for a sort of moment. And at the same time, he's still got a lot to learn. This is great because often you know when i when i go into a superhero movie and i know that we're going sort of origin story i'm kind of a you know eyes kind of roll into the back of my head i get a bit of fatigue like oh god we all know how the hulk became the hulk we all know how spider-man became spider-man and i think what they've done so well in spider-man homecoming is, is they've already introduced spider-man so we know he's part of the universe we know that he knows the other avengers and rather than sort of going down the path of this is how you became spider-man and, and and got your powers they they more go down the the path of this is how you become a hero this is how you go from sort of being your friendly neighborhood spider-man to being a, a core member of the avengers and so absolutely fantastic time as always, the, the Marvel cast is, is fantastic. So obviously Tom Holland, Michael Keaton, Robert Downey Jr., Gwyneth Paltrow, Donald Glover. The list goes on. Like it's, it's, it's fantastic. So really looking forward to continuing the Marvel journey. Uh, but as I say, I normally I'm coming in with sort of five of these movies, but I've only got two for you this week. Spider-Man Homecoming, I I have seen, and I feel like, Dan, that you lent this to me on a Blu-ray for some reason. I may be crossing wires, I don't know. That is 100% correct. Can yeah. I get that Blu-ray back? Uh, I think that one and my copy of Joker are both missing, so I'll, I'll see if I can find it. But um, no, I remember this. It was an enjoyable watch. Sir Michael Keaton, as always, is enjoyable in, in anything, and um, it's it does really. I just love the look of this Spider-Man, and there's a lot. If you ever spend much time on Instagram, and if you're a sci-fi nerd, this superhero nerd, these sort of things pop up in your search feed all the time. That the comparisons of this of the Spider-Man uniform. There's something about this look, especially around the eyes, that's just so classic in line with the sort of the 70s, 80s comic. This is how Spider-Man should always look, and I hope they never change it. 
Yeah, I, you know, because there's all that drama between uh, Sony owns the rights to Spider-Man and, you know, keeping him in the the MCU. Like, it's just so critical. And, like, I think he's just, he's so well cast and it all just fits in so well for me. I would hate to have to sort of reboot this again. Um, It all works so well. So going forward, I'm really heading into the the real modern movies now. So uh, this week... Uh, this coming podcast, we'll be jumping into Black Panther, Doctor Strange, Thor Ragnarok. And these are the movies that I've been wanting to rewatch for ages, but now having sort of watched them in timeline order, um, is I'm even more excited than ever. Well, it's interesting because you've been talking about these movies that sometimes you've said, oh, do I want to watch this? Can I be bothered with this? And you're having a great time. Now you're coming to movies that you've already seen and love. And I'm just wondering... The, how much higher can the scale go? Because some of these other movies are getting all the guns already. It's quite exciting how much you're going to probably enjoy this rewatch period. Well, and I think that that's the other thing too is you know this is a is a big commitment, right? Like when I talk to people about rewatching the Marvel movies, people are like, oh god, that's a lot of movies. And but we're actually getting pretty close. Like, so what have we got? One, two, three, four, five, six movies, and we're completely up to date. So wow we're kind of racing through it pretty quickly. So it's it's a big job, but, you know, once you start. It's enjoyable as well. It's enjoyable. It's enjoyable. So I wonder, Paul, rather than uh, talk too much more about Marvel movies, shall we wander on over to the things that we've been watching together? Indeed. And um, we're going to start with The Walking Dead. Uh, we are up to Season 11, Episode 7, Promises broken. Maggie and Elijah learn a new survival tactic from Negan. Eugene's group clears walkers to pay their fines. And Yumiko interviews for an upper class job while Daryl learns more about Leah and the Reapers. And Gabriel encounters a man of God. The floor, as always, Dan, is yours. So this is always going to be a tough ask for The Walking Dead. We came from a what I would describe a, a top three, top five episode last week. And so I was a little bit nervous coming into episode seven uh, of season 11. But, well, I, I had an okay time. Like I didn't have a good as time as I had last week, but I, I had an okay time. And I'm kind of seeing a bit more where all of the stories coming together it's maybe a little bit more connected um, and I'm appreciating it a bit more. Bearing in mind, I had just watched World Beyond, which we'll talk about next. So this this was already blowing me out of the water, but we'll get to that in a moment. Now, I think a couple of interesting things happened in this episode, a couple of really poignant things. So one, we're actually finally having Maggie and Negan having a, a good heart-to-heart about the situation. And I think really the point they're trying to emphasize here is – when you are running a group, you are trying to protect that group with everything that you've got. And I think, you know, this was really Negan's moment to try to explain to Maggie, almost like it wasn't personal. And then, you know, Maggie actually talking about the satellite station and how, you know, they kind of struck first and they actually killed all those people. And all of these um, events and conflicts that have happened since then is basically just people protecting their territory or you know, people trying to get food or supplies from other groups which they don't have. So it's when you kind of put it in that context, it kind of changes the the dynamic a little bit. And I actually did appreciate for the first time the the honest conversation between Negan and Maggie, particularly when, you know, the, the conversation around for Negan, like, would you do it again? Mm. 
and Negan sort of confessing, I, I would have, I would have killed every single one of you. And I think, you know, I don't think that was necessarily said with, with hate, but I think when you, you look at him trying to protect what he had going on, you know, this, this has fundamentally changed the lives of, of, of everybody involved. And though it's always going to be, you know, hard for Maggie to deal with, it was a, it was a big moment. I do have, um, I do have a gripe, but I'll save it. What did, what did you think, Paul? Look, I agree with a lot of what you said. It's interesting that you jumped to straight away the the part that I wanted to go to, which was, so the conversation between Negan and Maggie, I would say, even though this wasn't as good as last week's, I would say that that conversation, that scene of dialogue, in, if you were to look at it on a page as well, a written page, that would be probably one of the best pieces of dialogue that we've seen in The Walking Dead for, for some time. And that would even include Fear the Walking Dead. I thought that that, that scene was real strong. And Negan's response to the question, as you say, I would have taken down everyone. So that we're talking about the end of season six when they're all lined up in a semicircle. And the, and rather than leave it at that, Maggie pushes the issue with like, how could you say that to me? And that's where the real gold comes out of the conversation in it. And they do take the time to to uh not they don't sort of bury the hatchet because that will never happen and as maggie says we'll never be even but it's a real interesting dialogue they do shake hands and he does sort of say if you give me your word that's good enough for me because i take you to be a person of your word and it's uh it is a really interesting thing about protecting everything you have for the people that you care about and um yeah full credit to that whole scene because that relationship has has gone from me saying a couple of weeks ago I'm sick and tired of the bickering to now it's getting interesting because as Negan says we're being honest and also he had a couple of wonderful moments where um you know a bit of humor is injected where she was just not getting the whole wearing the mask situation and she was like well this isn't going to be fun and he's like well not with that attitude it's not and with that Negan smile just hinting through it was great I think and this is where I think it's kind of a little bit um, frustrating in the sense that, you know, so they're making um, masks, like like alpha and, and beta style masks. To, and what what's sort of annoying about it is when Negan first went with the Whisperers and they kind of taught him the process of like, this is how you kind of prepare a a mask and blah 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 and there's a whole drying process there's a whole like like it's a bit of a work of art and in this episode they're just like you know round the corner whip, whip a mask together put it on your face you'll be right like that like it was kind of annoying because I felt like we they've shown us the this is how it's made and now they're kind of like playing a bit of disregard to that also in the point that here's a mask and now you're actually a pro and kind of managing managing other walkers and by the end They've got a full herd with them. Like it's crazy. I think they've taken a process which was perhaps longer than it needed to be. They've they've workshopped it. They've had a bit of ideation and they've iterated it to the point now where it's a much more efficient process. So I think um, that's credit to the the writers for using that sort of design thinking approach. I'm really picking holes, but um, like that was sort of interesting that they're going down this path, and it actually made me think about like. Poor old Alpha and Alpha and Beta. They could they could they could have been in this space, but no, just another another villain to the pack. Um, I the other thing I your gripe. My other my other 
I don't know why I said I've got one gripe. I've always got many when it comes to The Walking Dead. Is obviously we got a bit more of sort of the Daryl storyline, and I'm not um, I'm not hating that storyline as much as I originally was. But I'm what I'm still not enjoying is the Daryl and uh, Lee relationship, mm. and I think the re- like it doesn't just make se- it doesn't make sense to me that relationship, and it annoys me that we had that previous standalone episode where Daryl kind of fell in love with her, and now they're at this real sort of tensionous point, and like it's it's just. Ugh, it doesn't feel right. No, it, it doesn't. And and for me, I actually have a, a bigger issue with Lee's relationship with Pope. In fact, I'm not convinced why any of these people who work for him are loyal to him. And it just, this guy is dislikable and I'm not sure what he's giving any of them. And I, they did try to address it with the whole, oh, he gave me a shot when I was young when no one else would. And, oh, he's not normally like this and all that. But I'm not convinced. And then I guess the other sort of major scene in this whole episode was actually going back to the Commonwealth and hanging out with um, Eugene and Ezekiel Winko. And I thought, you know, again, kind of interesting, kind of a bit of a a different paced uh, energy and storyline to the rest of the show. And I guess I imagine in our next week's episode, episode eight, that some of these storylines are maybe going to converge a little bit more. Yeah, I think they need to do that as well because they have been quite distinct things. I think bringing those stories together is is really important. I am um, I'm really fascinated by this other this other side of the world that we haven't seen in The Walking Dead before. People wearing pristine suits and like, oh, would you like some tea while you wait? And just I I'm still struggling with this whole. So I'm talking about where you know the King and Eugene and Yumiko are living. It just seems so. I just can't get my head around how feasible that is. But the the story within that universe. So if I put that to one side, the story of Eugene and uh, Stephanie running to save that couple's life from those those walkers, and then the reaction of that couple. I really wish that Eugene had actually killed the guy because frankly in this world that we live in in this apocalyptic world that's what you would get for that <laughs> um it's amazing that's another i think it's a, a good example of how the walking dead does cringe things like so that was a good scene where um eugene and stephanie saved those guys initially and then when they're having the conversation and that one one walker comes out of the bush and starts heading towards that guy's girlfriend and she's like tagging like tugging eugene's shirt being like ah oh, eugene, eugene eugene you have just killed a bunch of walkers on your own you don't need to get someone's attention to go and kill one walker like go and take like that was ridiculous like so frustrating it, it really was and I um I really want Pamela Milton to show up uh because this whole build up now she's been built up to this to this point. At one point I thought it was gonna be the same character uh that Julia Morn plays in Walking in World Beyond, but then I realised I've got my Commonwealths mixed up with my civil republic militaries and, and all the rest of it. But uh look, I I am fascinated by that. I, I I think it's an interesting step because we've seen them turn up to so many you know, houses or or prisons or villages, and it's always like a a used thing, and they have to get their hands dirty and plant some potatoes. Whereas now, it's basically they're walking into a five star hotel, and so it's it's an interesting dynamic to explore. I'm just I can't switch off my feasible brain. Do you know there's something wrong with me, Paul? Where in my mind I can't separate 
this mysterious Pamela from Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> I just keep imagining that Pamela is Mrs. Doubtfire, and it's Robin Williams, and he's like, you know, full full Mrs. Doubtfire, welcoming everyone to the to the to the Commonwealth. Um, yeah, look, this was this was you know, even though I'm I'm kind of out here slagging it off as per usual, it was still a a fairly good episode as far as some of the other ones and and I as I as I said at the start I think they're finally starting to converge some of these storylines and hopefully they really sort of lean into that next week and um set a good direction for because this is our final episode next week next week right until next year is that right wow I didn't realize we were that far through amazing well it's 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 gone by relatively quickly and I get no I guess that makes sense because now of course the world beyond has started out yeah that would make absolute sense Indeed, indeed. Speaking of World Beyond, shall we move on over to the return of the World Beyond? Indeed, we should. And just a reminder to people, use the show notes if you're not a fan. We've got timings in there and you can move forward to the next section because if you thought the World Beyond was getting a hard time, wait till you hear about the World Beyond. This is season two, episode one. I have no idea how to pronounce that word. Hope's commitment to the future is put to the test jeopardizing a potential reunion iris and felix meet a new group startling revelations are made in the episode consecans is it consecans yeah consecans yeah look we you know long-term listeners of the walking dead oh sorry of, of the half missions podcast who you know have been with us through thick and thin with the walking dead universe and particularly our reviews of world beyond will know the struggle you really have to be a Walking Dead fan to watch this show. It's really hard to have skin in the game on this one. I actually s- struggled to kind of keep my attention on it for the for the hour that it was. Um, like it's kind of just felt like more of the same of World Beyond, a little bit more a more passive story. Some bad guys I'm kind of interested in, but kind of not. Still knowing that this is only two seasons, I'm just, I'm just not sure about this, Paul. Look, I feel like the criticisms that I'm about to lay down on this episode would not apply to it if I thought that I was in for five or six seasons of these characters. But the fact that we know that this second season is the final season, and so we have just got what nine more episodes of these characters. Full stop. It's not that the characters are unimportant. It just means that I need the highlight show. I need the I need the executive summary. I don't need any filler. I need this show to be propelling universe plot points that are important forward. I need them to bring together the story of the three circles of the of the Commonwealth of the CRM and all the other things that are linking Fear, The Walking Dead, and all the others together. But instead, we get hope. Look, who I think is a fine character and the actress is fine, but we get her, the status episode, walk away from the CRM, sulk, take us on a trip down memory lane that literally no one asks for or will care about by the next episode. And then by the end, she's back saying, oh no, I can't make it. And we're right back pretty much where we left the end of season one with Hope having become part of the, the Civil Republic military crew. And the only difference being there, of course, is that she's she's met her father. But it's like, we haven't got time for this. Yeah, look, I'm just, even the fact that 
um, she met up with her father again should have been a big milestone moment, right? Because that's basically what the entirety of season one was about. But it almost felt so trivial in the context of what's going on in this universe. Like, what? Why? What? Where are we going with this? Start the episode with him, with her opening the door, and he's there. So start it with how that episode finished, the reunion, and then let's propel that story forward. Uh, it's sometimes the look on what's her name, Julia Ormond's face, looks so bemused, and I'm wondering how much of that is actually acting, and how much of it is her actually thinking, what is going on with this scene right now? This episode. Just, yeah, like you, as a struggle, my favourite character, Elton, doesn't even feature, uh, nor does Silas. And I don't know, Dan, the Felix story doesn't interest me, really. I know. I can't, what can I say? I almost text you to say, I don't know if we can review this show because I don't know (laughs) if I can do 10 reviews, basically being this is kind of trash. Um, but at the same time, my commitment to walking, like, you know, I've done the hard yards. I have to keep going. It's, it's tough. Let's see how we go next week. Let's, let's keep it short and sharp rather than cut it all together. Let's move into something a little bit different, shall we, Dan? Let's go across to a TV show that came to us from one of our listeners. Yeah, this was a Bruce Gray recommendation. And so this is a BBC TV show called Vigil. Uh, so it just came out in, uh, just came out this year actually, and it's the mysterious disappearance of a Scottish fishing trawler and a death of an onboard, sorry, and a death onboard a Trident nuclear submarine bring the police into conflict with the Navy and the British security services. So this is the perfect cocktail, Paul. Six episodes, kind of a, a bit of a, a one shot, like there could be another season, but, but who knows? It's, it's all contained within it itself. Six episodes of BBC produced content, always fantastic. The basic premise beyond what I just read out is, so somebody dies on the submarine and because they're not in international waters, basically the police have to, has to be involved. So this poor detective basically has to be helicoptered out to the submarine, dropped on board and started to solve a, solve a murder case. If you've ever seen The Hunt for Red October, The Crimson Tide, you know you don't want to mess with the ranks of, of a nuclear submarine. Everything you just said, Dan, 100% agree. I really enjoyed this. It's all of those ingredients come together so beautifully. I, it's Look, it was very good. It's not top of the class when it comes to, you know, we talk about line of duty and, and so on, but I'm really glad I watched it. Although I... I do feel like I want to get a quick wind out of my system because, you know, it's it's therapy for me. I want to, I feel like I was, I don't know about you, I feel like I was a little bit duped about the whole Martin Compton thing being used so heavily in the promo of this series. I saw a lot of promo for it because I, I thought I was going to get DSR on it on a submarine and I was sold on that alone, obviously. And then the whole thing starts off and he's seemingly the main protagonist and we're getting to enjoy his Scottish accent for once, which is great. And then it's it's a bit of a downer when he just gets killed off in the opening 15 minutes of episode one. And the fact is, is that this series more than stood up on its own two feet, perfectly fine without him. So in some ways, I'd actually wish he'd never been in it. But I just wanted to put that out there because 
the the description that Bruce gave us of you know that line of duty on a sub and, and broad church below decks that was that was spot on and it ticked so many boxes for me. I think you're right. Like it was interesting, right, Devin, right at the start, and kind of to be a a low a low ranked character kind of causing a bit of trouble. It really kind of I had to really not have him as as line of duty role like it, it really i had to really focus on that but i think what i think more than makes up for this is i think saran jones and rose leslie's sort of core roles on this as uh detectives i think they do a fantastic a fantastic job of i guess bringing the the different like life experiences these different characters have bringing the different sort of emotional trauma their different background bringing it all to life the one, my one gripe about this overall TV show would be, I actually wonder whether six episodes might have been an episode too long. I wonder whether it could have been tightened up a little bit. And the other thing which I thought, I kind of went into the show, like, you know, people sort of say it's got a real like Broadchurch vibe, right? And if you've watched Broadchurch, you basically know that the person who they're always kind of like pointing at in this episode is not the point, not the person who's actually guilty. Yeah. And so I found myself watching the show trying to take a real Scooby-Doo mentality of like, it's the person who's just kind of like smiling off camera, but not really in scene, like probably someone like the, the cook in the kitchen or whoever it may be. And I, I kind of knew that like we're too early in to reveal yet we're too early in we're too early in and it kind of took away that that mystery it kind of felt like they were repeating a formula that had already been quite heavily used yeah look I I agree with you to a point the the fact was though that neither Diana or I could work out who had done what and so that whole sort of pointing the finger early and like you know the commander Matt Prentice the XO what a great actor he is. He really plays a really dislikable person and he does it so well, uh, pointing the finger at him, pointing the finger um, at Glover at some points, pointing the finger at uh, Gary Walsh. And um, there was just so many moments like that that it just left both of us like, well, it's got to be someone. And I felt like the big reveal was 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 quite effective. There were... There were times, I'm going to have a bit more of a gripe now, when I said I was done with my gripes, there were times when it was a a little bit predictable and there were times when you could see something coming and you were sort of waiting for the story to catch up. And one of the things I was thinking of is when Jade went off to meet that contact on the side of the road, the instant she goes to leave, you know she's gone burger. She's never coming back. And then that whole, I don't know, five minutes of supposed tension as she waits for the the, the contact to turn up and we know what he's going to do that's lazy writing and then the other thing that i thought yeah, i've always got my writer's head on the other thing uh was the captain of the sub the actor um patterson joseph he was superb the actor was great and i love his accent but the writing of his character in particular his relationship with dci silver was all over the place Dan he was like a he was like firm and fair and respectful captain you know he was, he was willing to listen to what she had to say in one scene and then the next minute he was suddenly irrational overreacting he was emotional rude he was dislikable twat the next minute and it's like it's just it was just all the, until the last episode he was just flip-flopping all over the place and that's just poor writing these are some big words Paul these are this, this, this is a lot Look, for me, 
I was unsure about like deviating from my Marvel journey to to watch this show, but you know what? I did it for Bruce Gray because Bruce Gray is a <laughs> he's the foundation, a core pillar of the Half Measures podcast. And if Bruce Gray says this is a good watch, then I've got to get amongst it. And look, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Definitely got you know a couple of holes. Definitely a few kind of character flaws. Um, definitely some things which could have been better. But I think you could do far worse than jumping on this TV show. I think it's it, it overall really good watch and, and I highly recommend it. Oh, look, I entirely agree. Part of me wants to scrub the recording we've made and go back, but we don't do that on this podcast because I feel like I've just come in with a lot of negative and a lot of criticisms, but I guess I'm being hard on it because what we're doing is I'm trying to put it in the same league of, uh, as some shows, which which I think are, are really top tier. And that's that's where I think it's on the verge of, of being. So um it's uh it it is really good it's it's got a great strong finish as well the, the actors the actresses everyone the writing the production it's it ticks every box i think you're right i think this is this is a show on the verge of being great but just doesn't yeah. sort of stumbles a, a few sort of uh key points along the way but it's 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 so close to being such a uh, an epic show and i think kind of props to them for choosing to go down this path like i can't imagine it's cheap to be like you know what, let's let's go for a submarine and let's, you know, have all these kind of like crazy close quarters scenes while also filming outside the submarine. Obviously lots of, um, probably I imagine, Navy support technical expertise were required to bring this together. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I think I think you're right when you called it a one shot because I don't see this having a second season. It doesn't need a second season at all. It wraps up quite nicely. They, they take the time at the end as well to wrap up some what appeared to be minor plot points so that this feels like a done deal and i think it's a nice a nice package as it is but maybe madden compson could have shaved that beard because he looked identical to his line of duty character and that was just uh as you said a, a bit weird sort of seeing him being a, a i don't know it, it was yeah the madden compson thing was a real distraction everything else apart from the writing for those two scenes i love this show Thank you, Bruce. We appreciate your recommendation. If you've got a show that you'd like to recommend to us, by all means, flick us a message over here at the Half Measures Pod. Indeed. Sometimes we listen, see? Sometimes we do. Well, Paul, it's probably time that we talk about our movie of the week. Indeed. So every week, Dan and I take it in turns to choose a movie. We post that movie choice into our Discord channel so that you can watch along we do that seven days before the pod airs uh for the last four weeks we have been watching the daniel craig james bond movies and this week we're at the fourth and final movie of what has been released so far uh and that is specter i think this movie paul is so so critical for anyone going to watch no time to die to refresh themselves on this movie before going into the new one this you know we've had an interesting journey kind of refreshing ourselves on these right like for me still my favorites would be probably in this order casino royale skyfall specter uh, quantum of solace and i think specter is a it's a far more enjoyable film. I had more. I enjoyed this more watching it this time around than watching it in the theater, and I think that's because 
it gave I had more time to actually appreciate the connections between the other movies, the the character development, the kind of direction that they're going with the sort of wider storyline, trying to sort of build this bigger universe. And so I appreciated Spectre more for what it was in that context, even though it wasn't sort of my favorite James Bond experience. But I do think we get a, a fantastic, um fantastic bad guy in this with Christopher Waltz. Oh, absolutely. I agree with once again, everything you said, and including the order you've just said, and the, the Christopher Waltz, I feel like um, I f- that whole mystery of Spectre, um, that Christopher Waltz's character, you know, the way they don't show, you know, Blofeld, his character for some time, and even they don't even reveal his name for quite some time. He's superb. And I think we've been lucky to have, in my mind, three out of four villains across these four movies we've watched be really really convincing um he's he's uh aloof he's he's uh he's in no way a he's not a physical threat right he's if anything he's quite gentle and um but the way he has tied together all the previous movies all the previous villains and how he's been the one pulling the strings just as blofeld did back in the in the connery series i i love all of that and the other thing i love about this movie it has arguably the best pre-credit um the opening scene and we we talked about this with the frenetic quantum of solace opening and i think that this movie maybe second only to die another day which i think is not the best movie in the world but the the opening is with uh pierce brosnan when he's been captured by the north korea and he's been in jail for 18 months i think that is brilliant he's, you know, he's got a beard and everything this one it's it's so i don't know it's vibrant it's got a bit of a uh, the old live and let die feel about it. He, as action sequences go, it's out of this world. And then you've got Bond casually walking along the side of that building with seemingly little regard for how high up he is. And he's just sort of just casually skipping along. It's it's such a great start. It's iconic. I think the, the other thing I need to give a, a shout out to this movie, and I completely forgot about this, is Dave Bautista in this film as Hanks. And... I, I just the the reason it's kind of uh, I guess important to me is having been on this Marvel journey and watching Dave Bautista and his role in Guardians of the Galaxy and then seeing him in a movie like this like I, I completely forgot but on paper if you'd said to me Dave Bautista is one of the one of the villains in the show I'd have been like this is ridiculous we don't have WWE stars in this but I, I know that Dave Bautista's you know he's come a long way since those days but I thought he was fantastic as a a big brooding tough guy and who James goes toe-to-toe with on several occasions and it's it's I love kind of the uh the vibe between those two characters as they're kind of like trying to one-up each other as they they try to sort of get the girl or um beat the other one to the to the punch and it's it's fantastic it's a really good show. I, I really love the idea of this character as well because he's basically silent. You know, he smiles a lot when he's driving at a ridiculous speed. You know, he's just sitting behind the wheel. He's just smiling. He's having a great time. Um, and yet he's he's the opposite. So when I talked about Christopher Waltz being not a physical threat, this is the physical threat. This is a guy that pushes a guy's eyes into his socket as a way of taking his place at the table so he 100% is that physical presence and threat that makes you go, okay, 
Bond is not going to beat this guy in a fist fight, and that's that's always a good thing because you know if Bond could always do that, then where's the challenge? You, you want him to have to think differently. So yeah, it was a, and then of course the one time he does spe- speak is is when he's getting you know at, at the train door. It's yeah, it's absolutely incredible. I think the the one thing that I've I don't know why these little minor details bother me, Paul, but they they sit with me is when James Bond packs to go away, and I was sort of looking like he had he has two bags when he gets off the, off the train. He's got a suitcase and he's got a bag, but he's always got different tuxedos, right? Like, is he just kind of always good to go with a couple of tuxedos, always making sure that like his spy involvement is always top tier. Like he's not like, I'm just wearing my black fisherman's jersey and a beanie and I'm like skulking around the wharfs. Like he's, I'm fine dining. And he's like, I don't know about you, Paul, but if I had to emergency buy a suit, it would be the most (laughs) ill-fitting, terrible looking thing you could imagine. Not for James Bond though. Um, I don't have the answer to your question, Dan. I did wonder when you were like, what, I was like, oh, what is he going to say? What what cup has Bond drank that of that, that didn't have liquid in it? Or what, what has happened here? I don't know what the answer is. Uh, we'll call it creative license. Uh, I think Daniel Craig will probably look good in anything. Um, but maybe there's a really efficient way of packing. Maybe you could tweet at 007 that question because I feel like that's the one they might pick up on. <laughs> I think uh, I think movie license is the is the answer to that one. Um, and the one other thing I've got to give them a, a bit of a shout out for, as you know, and you were talking about it before, as Blofeld is the villain when he has Bond captured and sort of near near the end of the movie, and he's kind of like drilling into his head with these sort of micro drills. Yeah, that is the most alarming, terrifying thing ever. And I don't know about you, but I. I found myself squirming in my chair as the drill was going into the back of his head, like, like come on, Jamie, you got to get out of it. But it's 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 too much. It's it's really really good, and it's uh, squirming is what I've done two weeks in a row now because uh, Xavier Bardem's character was making me squirm in a different way. This was a different kind of threat, and it was really um, it was really painful watching that. And um, I'm really glad that he survives. Uh, I'm really glad that, you know, a lot of criticism was labeled at this movie. And one of them was that there was too much fan service to the Blofeld with the whole scarred eye thing to make him match the, the original Blofeld. And I, I'm like, do you know what? I'm all for that. I think that's great. I'm 90% sure we're going to see him show up in no time to die. I know, I know what's his name. Mr. Robot is the, the villain, but, um, Andrew Scott in this movie, he is fantastic. Um, he plays C. I'm not sure if we ever worked out what the C stood for, but the the, the character that he has in his interactions with um, uh, with M, uh, those scenes in themselves are just delightful. I also enjoy it the the end of the movie. You know, so this is kind of they're talking about basically disestablishing uh, MI six MI five. I always get what. Is it MI5 or MI6? Because one's international, one's anyway. Regardless, they're looking at disestablishing one of them. And I love at the end that basically we've got M, we've got Q, we've got Money Penny, we've got Tanner, all coming together as the dream team, the Avengers of the Bond universe to basically save the day. I love it. I love that too. And I really hope that we don't have this in No Time to Die because I feel like in Skyfall, 
you know, when M was sat at the the big t- table, they were trying to basically say, look, there's still no substitute for a person in the field doing the work out there. You can't rely on computers. And I feel like if I was to label criticism, the story for this one, that might be where I'd go, that they did have that similar element of, oh, you guys are old fashioned. We don't need you anymore. Like, I feel like they've done that twice now. I'm really hoping that doesn't come out in the third one, but, uh, the dream team of everyone together all the all the pieces are on the table throw felix lighter in there as well and we're ready to go do you know paul just talking about these movies i almost and this this might be a little bit controversial as i actually wonder whether skyfall might actually be my favorite like it's when i think about all the components of these movies and how they kind of bring like skyfall is so much better than i remember it yeah and i uh, it's a tough call about what one would be number one, actually. It is a tough call. And I feel like, because I came in a Skyfall and I was like, I think I, the word I used was, oh, that's a real powerhouse. And I was like, is it number one? And I feel like if I was to watch Casino Royale now, I'd be like, nah, no, nah, that's that's still the best one. But there's little elements, there's little scenes that in each movie, I'm like, this is the best. Oh, no, this is the best. Oh, this is the best. And it's um, what I would love to be able to say is in seven days time on this podcast, then is to say, no time to die that is the best that would be because if that's the case or even if we're even if we're having the conversation that's telling us it's a great movie well all going to plan this time uh next week on the podcast we will be reviewing no time to die any lockdowns pending hopefully i don't want to jinx us no um but we're excited i've already bought my tickets down so i can't face losing that money because frugal pool will not put up with that it will ruin you. Yeah. Well, Paul, shall I take us on over to the news? Let's go. All right. So a couple of things on the news desk today. So we have officially got a, a premiere date for the book of Boba Fett. So we are looking at December 29th. December is shaping up to be a fantastic time. We've got the Book of Boba Fett. We've got Cobra Kai Season 4. It's going to be great, Paul. What a, what a time to be an introvert homebody. I know, right? It's almost... Because uh, for us, of course, in New Zealand, it's summer. And we should be out. We should be at the beach. We should be traveling. But when there's this much content and it's the top-grade quality content, I'm like, I just, I just want to sit down and watch all this stuff. It's those two shows that you've mentioned, I think, are probably top of the list. Oh, it's fantastic. I'm, I'm so excited to watch this and I love that they keep saying his story is only the beginning like it just inspired like it sends a, a chill down my spine and I just can't wait to see what else they, they sort of reach out with us it's going to be it's going to be good um what have we got here so the witcher season three has been announced by netflix which is pretty exciting considering season two actually hasn't even launched yet and they're already telling us we're going to get a season three fantastic times they're also working on a second anime to support the witcher uh and it's going to be an anime film and a kids series so obviously they're looking to really expand that whole witcher universe bring it to more audiences already a huge game already fantastic books now a great netflix tv show great time to be alive um we've got some game of thrones news this week as well so the first um 
prequel trailer has been released for House of the Dragon, you should probably go and check that out. If you're like me, you might be a little bit salty on Game of Thrones, but this has reignited the fires. I am excited. I'm hyped up. I'm I'm confident that they can take this universe and deliver greatness again. So pretty excited to see more of that in the coming months. Uh, speaking of No Time to Die, so that has set multiple box office records with a $119 million international box office debut. Wow. So that's pretty fantastic. And I think, you know, I guess, you know, we've had to wait a long time for this. We've been wanting to watch these Bond movies for, it feels like about a year. And, you know, there've been delays after delays after delays. And I, I guess, I, you know, ultimately I'm happy for them. I'm glad they can actually, you know, make some money um, and support the, the whole industry with that. Now, Paul, I don't know if you know about this TV show, but I feel like everyone's talking about it, and I'm I'm not in the loop, but Squid Game is on track to become Netflix's biggest show ever. So I don't know about you, but I think I'm going to have to watch this. I, I, I can't be out of the loop. It's too much of a half measure to not know about this TV show. It's definitely going to have to be put on the list so we can... Maybe we do a joint review on that one because yeah, if it's if it's going to be the number one Netflix show ever, how can you not watch it? Well, I think they'll have to liaise with us to confirm what our final Guns Akimbo rating is, and then that will determine its place that makes sense. in the archives. Makes sense. Apparently, speaking of Squid Game, that script was rejected for ten years, and finally Netflix gave Squid Game the green light. That's that's just a real tribute to the whole never give up, never surrender. Indeed, indeed. And final bit of news for me, and you know, this is something we've long fantasized about here on the Half Measures podcast, is there seems to be a ton of rumors coming out about Charlie Cox, who played Daredevil um, on Netflix, um, and wider casts are actually about to return to the MCU. Now, this has long been rumored, long been talked about, but this has been picked up by a lot of different uh, media. Obviously, we're all over it, so it's definitely big. And I think what's going to be interesting about it is potentially same characters, but rebooted stories. Give me the Punisher. Give me Daredevil. Give me Kingpin. Give me um, Jessica Jones. Um, I, I honestly give it to me, Paul. I need it. I, I need it too, because that's the Marvel TV arena is one where I did go a full measure. And when I posted that, I, I posted the Daredevil poster in our, in our Discord news channel. I was like, Basically, the only thing I care about now is it has to be Charlie Cox. And I feel like, because there is a chance it's not, if it's not, I feel like there would be such an uproar that it would put immense pressure on whatever actor is coming in uh, as Daredevil. And and just hearing you then, Dan, talk about Punisher, I'm like, if if it's not Johnny Benthill, again, I, 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 why are we replacing these characters, sorry, these actors who are clearly very very good in these roles um i i'm watching the news on that one a lot to see what the casting decision is i've said it before and i'll say it again i those shows on netflix are still fantastic like i I could easily go back and watch daredevil you've got three seasons there you've got the defenders you've got uh punisher like just the punisher and daredevil alone and that season two crossover when we first get the introduction of the punisher yeah that is some of my favorite superhero tv ever it really is. And I really enjoyed the Luke Cage story as well. Cause when I looked at all the characters and I thought, 
oh, I know this one, I know that. And, I, and I didn't know much about Luke Cage, and I thought that was absolutely a real knockout. I really enjoyed the character, Cotton Mouth. Sorry, I'm really taking us down a wormhole. No, it's good stuff. But that is all from me, Paul. Anything else on your end? Dan, you you took three off of my list. It's like I've got a shopping list here, and I'm just taking them off as you go. So, um, no, nothing additional from me. All right. Well, shall we move on over to our peak performances? I was going to take us to the mailbag, but if you want to change oh, the of format, course. I, I, no, no, I'm I'm out of sync. That's a half measure. Take us to the mailbag. All right. So, what have we got here? Firstly, Dan, I wanted to give a quick shout out to our listeners, not just because they're obviously going to be voting for us in the nzpodcastawards.com situation, but we recently went over 50 countries where we have downloads being recorded. And so our top uh, for across New Zealand now, uh, that's obviously where we have most listeners, Um, Auckland now leads the way, followed by Waikato, Wellington, Canterbury, uh, Taranaki, Hawke's Bay, Manawatu, Otago, Southland, Nelson, and then Northland. That's where we've got the listeners. Overseas, we get really good numbers in the USA. We're now in 39 states, particularly California, Washington, Ohio, and North Carolina. And uh, plus the UK, Australia, Ireland, Canada, and Dan, the Philippines has now edged into the top seven countries out of the 52 that we have stats on. So that's where most of our listeners are. And I wanted to give a quick shout out. That makes sense, Paul, because um, my mum once did one of those Ancestry.com tests and it came back as 1% um, genes from the Philippines. So it makes sense that we resonate there. It makes so much sense. Um, Talking of making sense, Neon, um, our favourite streaming service in New Zealand, whose content we're always watching, um, they tried to come up with something for uh, each of us to watch based on a couple of our recent uh, favourites. So they did admit it was hard to find something that we hadn't already binged. But for you, Dad, uh, they said, if you've enjoyed Billions, now they wanted to say Succession, but they knew that was already on the Half Measures radar. They suggested you might want to look at the newsroom. And for me, based on um, Baby Done, they suggested the Broken Hearts Gallery or Rose Matafeo's Horn Dog. So I thought it was our job to do the what should you be watching, but Neon are giving us a helping hand there. So that was quite interesting. Uh, speaking of Baby Done, we had uh, a thank you from the director of that movie, uh, Curtis Val. Uh, and the movie producer Morgan Waru also shared our post on social media. Uh, Christopher Sean from Star Wars Vision, uh, he shared our review of Visions on Twitter. He is a great actor. He's a great voice actor in particular. He did Kaz in Star Wars Resistance. He's in uh, You. Um, he's He's been in Avengers. He's been in all over the place. And finally, last week's peak performance uh, was Sir Patrick Stewart and we had a few suggestions come through we had Geek Girl Review who is a regular contributor for Australia she went with John Luck Pickard which is a name that Jean-Luc Picard gets called in an episode of The Next Generation by his nemesis Q so um, that was a great call and I love the use of that name it's a real that's a real deep easter egg I appreciated that Ash from Palmerston North also went with Captain Picard. I tried to press him for a specific performance, but he dodged the question, which is fair enough because it's a really hard thing to try and put your name to. 
Uh, Jason from Poirot went with Professor X. Uh, Jessica Lynn Verdi from Sci-Fi 5 Podcast, who we recently interviewed, she she went with the movie Dune, um, adding that she really loved how Patrick Stewart never unpacked his suitcase during the filming of the movie because he was convinced that there had to have been a mistake um, that he had been cast. So that was a pretty cool bit of trivia. And Paddy from Time Traveling Team Podcast gave us a very specific 3-2-1 this week of Macbeth. Uh, Professor X in the movie Logan. And finally, number one, Captain Picard in the 1990 Next Generation Season 4 episode, Family, where Picard goes to his vineyards in France, which is where Picard takes place 30 years later, by the way. So that's the peak performances. Just quickly, if I pop across to... You see peak performances, Paul. I know. We're all over the place <laughs> no, today. The, 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 no, the mailbag's peak oh, performances. Oh, right. Okay. okay. <laughs> it's a quarter measure now. Um, I was just going to quickly pop across to Trisha Brady's trivia corner. It turns out uh, Paddy uh, recently asked Warwick Davis for an autograph at a science fiction convention. And when Warwick asked Paddy for his name, he, he misheard him and and wrote on the photo uh, to Penny. Um, so I feel tempted now to refer to Paddy as Penny uh, from here on in. And Trisha also had a similar experience and also got a wrong name. But as a as a Patreon producer, her rights are protected, so that name will remain under wraps. That's the mailbag. I I love that for Penny. I mean Penny's uh Penny's peak performances. Yeah. It's got a nice ring to it. Penny's peak performances. That's how it's gonna be known. Penny's three two one. For the rest of the for the rest of all time. Indeed, indeed. Well I it's funny, Paul, so I can't believe I, I missed the mailbag because I was feeling incomplete and now that you've been through that process and we've we've heard from everyone, I feel more at one with the universe. That's good. I, I keep the structure. You bring the organic juice and talent, right? Something like that. So this time, shall we move on to our peak performances? Let's do it. So just like Movie of the Week, uh, Dan and I take it in turn on a weekly basis to choose an actor, an actress, director, producer, someone whose career we want to look back on and pick out a number one performance for them. And this week, Dan, it was your choice. And you went, and this is such a great selection. I feel like this is one of the hardest peak performances in terms of making a decision in months. So high five for this uh, this pick. You went with the actor Rafe Fiennes, or as some people call him, Ralph Fiennes. Indeed. So and this was actually quite quite a bit tougher than I imagined. And you forget sometimes with a fantastic actor like Rafe Fiennes or Ralph Fiennes or whatever you, whatever you want to call him, that he, he's just been in so many fantastic movies. On IMDb, he's got 86 credits. Mm. And, you know, Hotel Budapest, Schindler's List, Harry Potter, James Bond, the list goes on. But we have to name it down to two. So I'm actually going to go, and this is probably a little bit of recency bias, I'm actually going to give him a shout out for my runner-up for his role as M. I, and the reason for that is I think it takes a pretty confident uh, actor to step into the role of M after Judy Dench has played that role, and I think I couldn't think of a better person than Ray Fiennes to do this. I think he he has the the honor, the charm. You can tell he kind of brings a he, he's almost like a in this role. A, I feel like he's a retired general or something like he he's got a bit of um, military 
uh, premise about him. And I just think even though we only get a, you know, probably less than probably 10 minutes of complete airtime with him, I think he he does that role in amazing justice. And for my peak performance ball, I I can't, I just can't look past it. I've got to go Lord Voldemort. And for Ray Fiennes' role as, as Voldemort in the Harry Potter universe is a fantastic bad guy. Like when we talk bad guys, you know, Darth Vader, Voldemort, Freddy Krueger, like he's right up there. He, he's a he's a top villain. And, you know, I think there's always something to be said for, you know, Voldemort as a character, you know, kind of starts off a bit of a presence, slowly coming more and more in in each film, you know, working through all those sort of prosthetics and, and still being able to bring such a, a perfect villain to life, I think is, is wonderful. So for me, I'm going to go... I guess Spectre and let's go Harry Potter, the Deathly Hollows. Really, really good choices. In fact, as you're saying it, and this is always a sign of a, a really difficult peak performance. I'm thinking, oh, oh, he's right. I really should have gone with that as well, but I'll stick with what I've gone with. But uh, just a real quick mention on what you talked about. I think the, the, the pad of M, the biggest compliment I could, could give there is that for the couple of movies he's been there, it feels like he's always been there and he doesn't feel out of place at all. And this is following Judy Dench, who as M was for me immaculate across Brosnan and Daniel Craig. So um, yeah, really, really great shout Dan. Um, my honorable mention uh, may be a bit of a surprise and that is the Avengers, um, which is a, uh, a 1998 movie, not the, the the one that you're thinking of. The, it's a movie that is not particularly good, actually. Um, but with my writer's hat on for the second time in one podcast, that is mainly down to the writing because his performance is actually is actually really good. He does nothing wrong. His chemistry with uh, Uma Thurman is, is really good. He has some great back and forth with, with Sean Connery. So... He gets to interact with another Bond there. And there's a lot in here that's really good about his performance. But as a movie, it really, really missed the mark. And I just wanted to just, yeah, honourable mention that one, John Steed in The Avengers. But on my peak performance, maybe a, a bit of a, a surprise as well, but I'm actually going to go uh, with the the movie Red Dragon. I... I for me, what, what I find fascinating about this is that this is a movie that is is all about Hannibal, uh, Anthony Hopkins' character, and with Clarice Starling not even a part of this movie because it's set before Silence of the Lambs, so he hasn't, you know, Hannibal hasn't even met Clarice. This movie, more than any other, should really be Anthony Hopkins' movie to steal. And even with Edward Norton as the lead detective, when I think of this movie and when I think about going back for a rewatch, I think always about his you know, his his character as the Red Dragon. He's he's terrifying, but he's also a character that you can empathize with. And he plays that that sort of red dragon as with such sort of physical presence as well when i think of him as mallory inspector uh, it's you know or, or voldemort as you say i can't imagine somehow in my mind that it's the same person it's so distinct and so different it's for me that's his peak performance that's a, a pretty good chat paul i was convinced that you were going to go with shinless list at somewhere 
somewhere in this category. And this is the thing. I cannot believe that neither of us have gone. I was convinced that we were going to have, one of us was going to have Schindler's List or Voldemort. And I left both of those at the door because I couldn't go past Red Dragon. And, you know, in the end, I decided to go with the Avengers because I was just feeling that way. Oh God, this is what peak performance is all about, you know, bringing back those nostalgic memories. Hopefully the listeners will, you know, steady the ship for us and give us some suggestions that are perhaps a little more balanced. Well, I definitely look forward to hearing from Penny this week um, about their recommendations. Well, Paul, that probably just about brings us to the end of another episode of the Half Measures podcast. It does indeed. And once again, if you get a spare couple of minutes, please do head to nzpodcastawards.com, click the nominate button, chuck our name and a link to halfmeasurespodcast.com on there and give us your vote. We'd really appreciate it. Until next week, everyone. Oh, actually, God, I'm, 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 I'm forgetting everything. I, I shouldn't be on this podcast. <laughs> That's the title of the episode. You need, you need to bring your son in. We need to replace me. I'm, I'm, I need an agenda. I, I clearly need a bit more structure in what I'm doing. I haven't thanked our, our very special uh, Patreons who help bring the show to life every week. So a special shout out to Samara King, Trisha Brady, Diana Kanawa, and Linda Tevner. We appreciate your support. If you too would like to become a patron of the show, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios.